So here we are again with me doing 5,000 takes just to try and get the intro right for this to introduce this next podcast. But hey, here we go. Thanks for joining me today um, on the NHS 100K podcast with me, Matt Taylor. Today, we had a really good conversation with Alex Mitchell, who is a jab injured individual. I won't go into any more details as to what actually happened because he talks about it at great length in the discussion. Really good guy, inspiration, determination, grit, all sorts of stuff going on in here. He's Scottish, so there's a lot of swearing, but it's not from me, just to, uh, you know, put that out there. But yeah, really good conversation, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Speak to you soon, and I'll see you on the flip side. Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining me today on the NHS 100K podcast. Look at the sign, look at the sign upgrade. I know, right? Um, so we're doing we're doing things proper in the, uh, in the crew room at the minute. So... Today, I've got Alex uh, Mitchell with me, who's got a really good story to tell. Um, good news, bad news, all of the stuff in between. So I'm going to introduce him to the studio. So, hi, mate. How you doing? All right. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Matt. It's a pleasure to be on the, the first NHS 100 podcast. I'm actually quite honoured um, and it's a, a privilege. Thank you very much. It's all right, mate. It's all right. I've got a busy week with um, people. Uh, I've, I've had so many more people say yes to the invites than I thought. I can give you, um, you, like, right. can give you hundreds more. I can give you hundreds more. Good. That's what we want, mate. That That is what we want. I don't want to be... Um, uh, we, we, we've, we discussed this with the, with the NHS crew in the background as well, and, and we want to make sure we get like, real people, real guests on to have decent conversations with as well, and not the people. Obviously, it'd be great to have the high-flying people on that we we see in the news and, and on social media and stuff all the time. But we've got to keep it real, man. We've got to keep it real. And, and You may be surprised at some of the names that will come your way. Yeah. Well, hopefully we could do a few good shows first, right? And then and then they might be uh, a bit kind of more willing to come on. So we'll bounce straight into it, all right? Because it's just it's what everyone's here for. So you tell me, well, you tell me what what's, what's, Okay, let's let's do. I'm trying to do this. So I want you to tell me the full story, but first of all, let people know what's actually happened to you, and then we can go back and and, and go through the the process and the steps that, that happened to you. If that's all right. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name's Alex Mitchell. I'm a 57 year old scaffolder from Glasgow, and on the 20th of March 2021, I went for my first AstraZeneca. At the time, I was told verbally, "You'll have society arm and possible." cold flu-like effects for the next 48 hours. Went home, everything was fine. By the weekend, I was back to Norton. After the weekend, I was back to normal. And on the 1st of April, I experienced what I would have said was blown calf muscles. I'm a scaffolder. We lift heavy stuff all the time. And I thought I'd blown my muscles. Went home, had a bath. Friday was a half day. Went in and struggled badly. Uh, by half 10, I could hardly walk 10 yards without cramping up. Come home, rested this Friday night and Saturday, and on the Sunday felt better, but felt as if I'd run a marathon. Got up, got ready to go and meet my daughter, who it was her birthday the previous day, and I had to cancel because I was feeling unwell. And I on some clothes, turned round upstairs and collapsed. And I knew as soon as I hit the ground, I was in trouble. Something told me internally, you're in a bad way. Um, unfortunately, my wife was downstairs in the kitchen at the time. And I had to pull myself head first backwards down the stairs. I made a hell of a noise. My wife came out and obviously clearly distressed and panicked. And something told me to stay calm. And I said two things. 
phone me an ambulance and get me a belt because at that point I could feel something in my left calf. Didn't know what I still not, didn't know what it was. That's the last thing I remember. I vague flashbacks of being in the living room lying on the floor um, with paramedics around me. Very vague. The next thing I'm I'm in, on the way to a, a hospital and the next thing I'm aware of, there's a lady in full scrub standing beside me. She's given me her name, told me what she, who she is. And she says, we need to do a CT scan and we need your permission and we need to do it now. And I gave verbally my permission. I think I made an X on a that paper. And they took me into a scan and the scan hadn't finished and she was standing beside me. And she said, we need to go to theatre. We need to go right now. I said, am I in trouble? She said, yes. I said, how bad? She said, the worst. And all I could say was, do what you can. Unknown to me, she left the room. She went into another private room with my wife and two daughters and explained to them that they had no hope because they'd never seen anything this, this level. They'd never seen anything like this. Um, but they weren't giving up hope. They were going to go what they could to save me. If I could be saved, it would be from the waist up. But it was highly unlikely that they could save me. Um, I was given two minutes to say, five to ten, two to five minutes to say cheerio with my daughter and my, and my wife, my two daughters, which is not something you ever want to do. Um, I come round <clears throat> after being unknown to me, seven and a half hours in theatre, and the same lady was standing in front of me. And she said, do you know where you are? And who you are? I said, well, I know I'm in a hospital. I don't know which hospital. And I, yes, and I gave her my name. And she said, are you aware of what's happened? And I said, no. And then she explained to me that she spent seven and a half hours removing clots from my lower abdomen, my right leg, and my left leg. Obviously, I'm still quite groggy from the anaesthetic. Because in my head, the only thing I could feel was my left leg. And I'm saying, in my left leg? I don't understand why I've got clots so many clots in my left leg, and she said, Mr. Mitchell, you don't understand. You had clots in your lower abdomen, your right leg, and your left leg. We have saved your lower abdomen, your right leg, and unfortunately, your left leg looks as if it's unsavable, and it's likely to be an amputation. I was given five minutes to take that kind of information in, um, and we are given a, a straightforward decision of, do you lose your life, or do you lose your leg? It's not really a decision, is it? Um, I did ask if there was any possibility at that point of it being a below the knee operation. And she brought in another cardiovascular surgeon who, as it turned out, he was the fellow that amputated me. And he said, you have some questions? And I asked, well, you know, I had a couple of questions that I, I needed to, for me at that point was, was there no possibility of it being an above the knee? I saw a below the knee because that would change drastically what I can do and what I can't do. And he said, if you tell me why that's important, I'll listen to you. So I explained to him that I'm an old school mod. I've been a mod all my life since I was 13, but at the age of 17, I kind of became a full mod. Uh, it's a way of life for me. It's not the clothes, it's not the scooters, it's not the music. And that's all part of it. I call that the, the peacock side of it, the ego side, because we all want to be looked at when we feel good. Uh, and that's the mod style, you know, we like to look sharp, we like to be on our old scooters. And we like Motown, Northern Soul, among other things. And he didn't understand what I was talking about because he's actually of French-Swiss descent. 
Um, and so to get my phone out and explain the whole mod culture and scooter scenes, and he said, yeah, I understand now. So why is this important to you? And I said, well, I need to know if the prosthetic leg will hold the weight of a scooter. And he hadn't a clue again. I had to explain all of that. I had to show him pictures of the scooter. And after about half an hour of talking, he closed the door. And he said, OK, I'm going to give you a week. And he explained everything I was going to face that week, what I was going to see, what I was going to experience. And he didn't lie. He didn't butter it up in any way, shape or form. Um, I now realise with hindsight that the week wasn't given to me because I asked for it. It was given to me because my body wouldn't have taken another operation at that point. And they gave me a week to try and strengthen me up, I suppose. Um, I spent a full week in isolation. Uh, not the best place to be when you're facing some of what you're facing but it was a good place as well because there's no distractions so you have 24 hours pretty much to sit and contemplate what's happened what's going to happen and try and think about what possible future there is um a week later on the friday i was supposed to be scheduled for my amputation and there was some kind of infection so it got delayed and then on a Saturday, my pain levels were getting measured at that point between 1 to 20. And I was at the highest I got was 18. And I think I was close to losing my sanity. I'm not going to lie. I've never felt experienced. I never wished that experience of pain on anyone. Um, so following that, he tried to give me more morphine. But the morphine at that point, was seemed to have less effect. As it turns out, I was close to a litre of morphine at that point. Yeah, I went through a litre and a half of morphine in eight days. It's uh, a huge amount. And obviously, they to wean me off the morphine to help with the pain. But at that point, the morphine wasn't even touching it. And the anaesthetist had a, an idea that he had a procedure called a nerve inhibitor. I had never heard of this. He said, it's a new procedure, we inhibit the nerve, and it should take away all the pain. And I said, he said, is it something you're prepared to do? I said, yes, anything to get away the pain. He didn't tell me at that point, he explained to me that his students had never seen this, and would I mind this procedure be shown to students? Being the kind of nice guy that I am, I said, yeah, of course. What he didn't tell me was the procedure of how they were going to do this. Because just as I said, yeah, he went out of the room, the doors open, my bed was pushed over to the window, the, the curtains were drawn, and all this machinery and about 20 people filed into the room. And I'm looking going, what's going on here? And he then explained the reason, the way that they do it is to use ultrasound to get to the nerve, and you've got to go through the buttock. So there was me with my ass in the air to the whole world, about 20 odd people in a room, watching my ass getting stabbed with a needle and on a screen he's showing me where the needle is and it's just a very fine white line and it shows like a little star cluster in the distances that's what i'm aiming for and it's as he got to he touched it with the needle and it's like the old pulse you no know, the electric shock lighters used to get it was one of them oh god we're right through your whole body and he pulled back and he, he did something and then he said where's your pain level now at this point for 17 straight down to five, instantly. And within two minutes, he said, where are you now? I said, zero, no pain. 
It was incredible. I've never experienced anything like it. Unfortunately, five hours later, something happened and that didn't work. And they were going to bring the operation forward. And the anaesthetist, for some reason, had taken blood. And thank the Lord, they checked it. It turned out there was an anomaly in my blood. So they dip in eight pints of blood. And I didn't know you'll be able to help me with this. They manufactured eight pints of blood. I didn't know you could manufacture blood. So it took them seven hours to manufacture enough blood and went in for the operation. Uh, before it explained to me that if it was a below the knee amputation, it would be two and a half hours. If it was above the knee, it would be an hour and a half because there's more veins below the knee. Um, I've come out of surgery and I've looked down and instantly seen that it's an above the knee. And I'm not going to lie, that was the worst, most crushing finish the moment um, or plummeted to an area of despair I'd never seen before. And I don't know what it was. Something made me look at the clock. And I'm saying five and a half hours have passed. And just at that, the surgeon came in and he was absolutely devastated. He was worse than me. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And I said, I won't use his name. I said to him, there's two, two and a half hours I missed. You told me the most I've been there three and a half hours. I've been in there five and a half hours. So clearly something went wrong. And he sat down and he explained that even the minuscule arterial veins that he was touching were collapsing. And ultimately, the, the above the knee amputation that he did do was a risk. But he didn't want to take any more away. He wanted to give me as much a chance as possible. And that was the story. I spent another eight days in the hospital and I was home eight days after being amputated because within 12 hours of being amputated, I was in a gym on parallel bars, forcing myself. And I said to them, what do I need to do to go home? And they kind of sit you down, they give you a process of what they're going to do. You're going to teach you to do this. You're going to learn to do this. Obviously, your recovery. And I'm saying, well, what kind of time scales? How long am I going to be here? And she said, well, some people have been here up to three months and it could take them up to a year to work. And I don't normally swear in podcasts, but my answer was, no, that doesn't work for me. So you can guess what the language I used. Mm. She said, what do you mean? That doesn't work for me. I said, that's your rule book for everybody else. I'm telling you to take your rule book and throw it out the window. It doesn't apply to me. I said, I know this body better than anybody on this planet. I've done things with this body that you couldn't believe. I was a scaffolder. I lifted weights that nobody could lift on a regular basis. I would do 30,000 steps and carry five tons of steel on my shoulder every day. You know, so this wasn't going to hold me back. And they kind of, I think they kind of thought, yeah, yeah, here we go. And I said, well, you tell me what I've got to do to get out here. And said, you've got to go up, you've got to walk, you've got to show you can use a prosthetic leg, you've got to show you can move about and you're safe and comfortable in a wheelchair. And I said, well, let's do it. And... After four days, I was ready to come home. Um, my bed at home, I paid an awful lot of money for the mattress because I'm a scaffolder. Because our bats were pennies, really. And the beds, and then, you know, these adjustable beds, they're not designed for sleeping on. And I couldn't get to sleep. My back was in agony. And actually says to the staff nurse, I'm getting more pain from my back than I'm getting from my amputation. If you don't get me started, I'm getting a taxi. This is one o'clock in the morning. I'm out of here. 
So the range they got me an air mattress, which I'd never seen before. And it worked wonderful. Uh, the only thing I would say, my huge criticism of the NHS is that if the hospital doesn't have its own kitchens, the food is not edible. I don't know where it comes from. It's processed and it's travelled up. I think it's from down south. It's travelled up to the hospitals in Scotland. Honest, oh, disgusting. Because by the time you get it, it's just mush. Now, being me, I made a phone call to a local takeaway and I started a bit of a problem because I was getting breakfast, lunch and evening meals brought in. <laughs> um, there were six of us in the ward and by, by the end of four days there were six of us getting takeaways brought in. It was, wasn't going down well, I must be honest. Um, and that's pretty much the journey to when I got home. When I got home it was very emotional and my family were told that they could take me another three weeks before I would be back home. And unknown to me, a huge welcome home party had been organised. And I killed it by phoning my wife the day before and saying, I'm coming home tomorrow. <laughs> and she said, yeah, yeah. I said, no, I'm coming home tomorrow. She said, no, you're not. No, they're coming. You're not coming home. You've got too much to do. And I said to the staff nurse, would you speak to my wife? And the staff nurse said, He's fit. We can't hold him if he wants to go home. There's nothing more. He's done everything we ask him to do. So I get let home. And there was was a huge party for me when I got home, which did make me feel very special. Um, but yeah, you're now contemplating a different life. Then that's kind of, you know, the rehabilitation has been, I was walking without sticks within three months. I was going fantastic. And unfortunately, I'd lost three and a half stone in the two weeks I was in the hospital. Um, so these prosthetics are like custom fit shoes. So you put weight on, they don't fit. We got recast, which was normal. Um, that takes about 68 weeks. And the minute, so that was 68 weeks sitting without using my prosthetic leg. And the minute I put it on, there was agony. And we thought it was a cast and not. My, my leg, it turned out, wasn't the cast. We recast again, which was another two and a half months. And at the end of that, we realised it wasn't the cast. It was actually the bone had moved. You're in, you, when you take your kneecap away, you've got two bones of your main leg. Well, they kind of float. Well, the inside one, your inside knee, that ends up at your outside. Um, and it's something that I've highlighted. That's something you should tell people straight away very early on. Because I spent four months terrified of a major problem and I didn't want to do anything about it. You know, so that's a kind of recommendation I would make if you were going to do this again or for, for, for future people. Tell them what they're going to be facing. Explain to them there's a possibility this bone may move to the outside. It's agony. It's horrific when it happens because it's like bone dragging over muscle. It's, it's an experience of, I've tried to to describe to people, but it's just nigh impossible. The nearest I could put to it is if you can imagine your bone coming off your muscle at speed. That's kind of like, and obviously it's going to take time for the skin round the amputation site and the bone and the muscles to desensitize. We're getting there. We're getting there. So that's kind of where we are now. It's been a journey and a half, I'll say that much. Mate, I don't even know where to start. There's a lot to unpack there. First, 
first things I want to say, hats off to you, buddy. Hats off to you to to steal big. So I've been chatting to you for a little while. I know my wife's been chatting to you more than I have, and she was badgering me even before this podcast came about to to, to get in conversation with you and, and and share your story and everything else. Um, I just I got a lot of respect for you, buddy, because it's not easy to uh, to come on and, and just discuss this sort of stuff. But I understand the reasons why why you're doing it. So I want to ask a couple of questions. So how many days after the jab was it that you noticed stuff going on? Got the vaccine on the 20th. First experienced symptoms on the 11th, which would be within 11 days, 12 days, uh, and collapsed on the 4th, which is sort of a 16 days. So you're looking at anywhere between 12 to 16 days, which seems to be, when I look at other VIT cases, it seems to be a common action. If you look at every, every reaction from these vaccines or test trial drugs, whatever you want to call them, it seems to be the two-week mark, the 12 to two, 12 to 16 days. If, if you get by that, I'm not saying you're healthy and you're fit and you're happy. What I'm saying is you're more, it's unlikely that what you're, what's happening is fatal. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So for those of us that aren't aware, do you, can, you, can you explain to, to people um, what a VIT is for me, please, buddy? Yeah, sure. VITS is an acronym for vaccine-induced thrombiotic thrombotenia. What it means in layman's terms, and this is my understanding, and no scientist has checked me yet, so I'm going to keep going with it, is that the platelet, what it, the vaccine has caused is your platelets to drop, your D-dimer to be massively elevated, and another antibody called negative PF4. That's the antibody that keeps your blood to consistency. What turns that positive? That basically means if you take blood out, it means sit it for half an hour, it becomes glue. Um, and that's something in my case is looks as if it's permanent. Uh, I'm on permanent medication. To if I don't take the medication, I've got about three weeks. So I hope that I never land in a desert island without some blood thinners because I'm in trouble. So, so as a result, so yeah, so you, you're right, hundred percent right. I, I just wanted to, because um, I had to. Um, it's the, I, obviously, I understand what it is, but I wanted to make sure that um, for the audience and everything else, I've always I want to keep everything easy for people to understand. But yeah, so the, your platelets, it's, it's it's coagulation that basically it messes with, which stops your uh, helps your body, your blood clot. So if you cut yourself, you start to bleed. You've got platelets in your blood, which are responsible for making your blood clot. Yeah. Now with the um the vit that alex is talking about then it messes with the coagulation which can make your blood um clot basically without there being any you know need to your body releases stuff when it's when there's a trauma and telling it to clot um but there's obviously no trauma so this is why people are ending up with these uh these clots all over their body so thank you for explaining that to me mate so the so so your so it's basically messed up your blood now forever i mean i know i know Sorry, I know that when people have um, strokes or bleeds or heart attacks or anything like that, they're they're on permanent um, blood thinners for the rest of their life anyway to reduce risk. But are you now? Um, is your platelets? Is your blood you know wrecked now because of that? Yeah, my platelets and my D dimer are more or less back to normality um, or an acceptable level. So we say um, it's the net is the negative PF four that's the main issue because that's now positive. Um, initially, 
when that was first raised, it was first raised in Norway, I believe, between 13 and 60 cases, sadly all fatalities, who presented with the same symptoms as myself. And in that case, they looked at a thing called HITS, which is very similar. Anything that induces thrombiotic thrombothenia is usually very similar. And the normal answer scientifically would be to give heparin yep. to bring the PF4 back up because usually if the platelets are dropping, they're eating the PF4, if that makes any sense, that's what creates them. Now, that's what creates your D-dimer to be elevated. Um, sorry, I've lost track of, track of where I was going there. Oh, no, 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 don't worry. So we were talking about obviously the long-lasting effects of the, of, the, of the jab with regards to your platelets and everything yeah. else. So it's the, what happens is that the, the platelets are changed, you know, I use the platelets, so you would normally give heparin under, you know, that's just, there's no scientist, professor in the world who would have looked at that and went any other way. And unfortunately, at that point, they didn't know about the PF4 antibody. So heparin is like putting petrol onto a fire. It's a positive to a positive. Um, I believe I was the first in the world to be given steroids as opposed to heparin because the first five or six cases in the UK that I'm aware of, they all passed very quickly. Um, unfortunately, I know all their names. That is something that keeps me going and it keeps me pushing on to remember these people because I should be one of them. I know I should be one of them. I've got my paperwork, I've got the medical records, I've got my medical records. And my basic understanding, and I've learned a lot in the last year about vitamin platelets and D-dimers and PF4 and all sorts of other stuff, all sorts of medication. Most of the medication I'm on is not for, because it's for the known side effects. So I'm on two antidepressants, not because of the antidepressants, it's because of the known side effects of those antidepressants, like gabapentin to help the nerve ends around the, the, the amputation side. It's a known muscle relaxant or nerve relaxant. Uh, and what's the other one? Gabapentin. Amitriptyline, maybe? Amitriptyline. That's the other one I'm on, mm. which is a very heavy antidepressant. But we use that in the evening to try and get have some muscle spasm because I'm getting a lot of muscle spasm issues at night. I don't go to sleep and wake up gently. I go to sleep and wake up in agony because when I go to sleep, it's as if the muscles go to sleep. And I don't know what happens internally with the signals. And you wake up and it's absolute agony. It's one of the worst cramp in the world. And there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. We're working on that at the moment. Baby steps, mate. Baby yeah. steps. Yeah. So going back to your initial first bit of the story when they, they, they took you into the, they initially took you into hospital. Um, and so there was no hope. Is that because at the time they knew you had multiple clots in the lower abdomen and both legs? I think because that when they, they realised they'd never seen anything like this, um, had never been witnessed in the UK, uh, certainly in a live patient. And thankfully that lady reached out and someone from haematology contacted her said, we have seen other issues of this elsewhere. Previously, we've used heparin. We believe that heparin is the problem. And now it turns out it's not heparin that's the problem, it's the dosage and the administration. 
that's something that we've learned over the last year. Right, uh, you normally have your heparin. They normally give you a heparin in your tummy, don't they? Especially when you've been discharged home, or you're going to be, you know, immobile yeah. to reduce the chances of you forming a clot, especially yeah. if you've got a cast on and everything else. So, in in practice, that would have seemed like the right thing to have done. Yeah, you know, that this is the and and the science that we knew at that point. That was the automatic answer. You know, um, and I know that some hematologist specialists, some of these guys are, and ladies are receiving psychological counselling because of some of the things that they're having to deal with. Now, my heart breaks for them because these guys are boffins, scientists. We never hear these people. They're away in labs when nobody knows where they are doing the wonderful work that they do. And they're pretty much unknown in the world, except within their own field, shall we say. Suddenly these guys, you know, they're thrown into a limelight where they're actually dealing face-to-face with patients. They've never dealt with this. And it's been a difficult one for them because <clears throat> obviously we've got bits with amputations, we've got bits with massive uh, neurological issues, lung issues, heart issues, through the whole body because fit doesn't particularly pick anywhere particularly to present itself, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, in my case, it was my calves that presented. And it was my legs that was affected. Other people's neurological, or it's heart, or kidneys, or, or somewhere else. It doesn't particularly pick a particular part of the body. It, it just seems to go, it goes, it's the whole body that becomes a problem. And well, that's why... Is... Sorry. Sorry. No, I was going to say this is what this is what happens when your platelets they mess around with your platelets because it's it's normally concentrated to an area where there's trauma. Yeah. The signal gets sent back to the brain to release the platelets. Well, your platelets are in your blood all the time, but they kind of get activated in that area. But if there's certain signals in the body that's not telling the platelets, you know, where to go or what to do, and they're just doing their own thing, then that's that's why you end up with so many multiple clots in different parts of the body. Because it's normal um, for the body to clot. That's a normal process. You know, that's what that's what bruising is. Mm, mm. Um, so we know that that's a normal process. What seems to happen is that the process seems to get screwed up and reversed with these sort of a bit things where the it just seems to do things that the body was never designed has never been seen before, um, and we're playing catch up. And that's part of the problem. And sadly, there's 438 bits in the UK. Uh, 78 of them are tragically fatalities. Um, and I know pretty much most of the, the sons, the daughters, the wives, the husbands, you know, of that particular individual. And some of them, these people were, you know, beautiful, lovely people that I wish I'd met in real life. You know, and... That's the reason, I suppose, why I'm so vocal and why I'm so out there, as I have all the evidence. Everything I've got, paperwork from hematology, from vascular, has got fit all over it. I've got my full medical records. My wife has moved them away. Um, I now have two folders of that thick each, just in the last two years. My medical records are about that thick. For the first 50 years, it's about that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. It's like that. Um, and it's, most of it's a lot of it's the lab reports and the blood reports, which is fascinating to read over um, when you start to understand. I've got a very, very basic grasp of what these reports are. 
but for me, my PF4 still remains 100% positive and it's not changed in the last six months. So it's unlikely to change at the present. So what was the, do you know what the anom anomaly was that they found in your blood when they were going to do, um, when, when they prompted the transfusion in the first place? They've never come back to me with that. They just said there was an anomaly in my blood. And I suppose once I get the knowledge and experience of reading my medical records with someone who knows how to read them, we'll, we'll find that answer, what that anomaly is. Um, I've got, there's a couple of doctors that, one's an American doctor who reached out to me about five, six months ago. And she's been absolutely fantastic with me. And that's a doctor that you really want on your podcast. No, I'll get the dates definitely, mate, for that. 100%. Uh, I won't name her. In fact, I won't name her because she doesn't mind. Her name's Dr. Kat Lindley. Okay. She's an American doctor. She's been very good. Um, it's an incredible the amount of scientists, doctors, lawyers that I'm now in first name terms with. I'm not allowed to see a general doctor. If I go to a &E, it's an absolute nightmare. Well, this is what I was going to ask you. So, so going, obviously you told, described about the sort of initial conversations with the, with the staff at the hospital, which is, you know, I'm surprised that they acknowledged it was a VIT in the hospital because the, the conversations I've had with other people, doctors and staff, this just, it's such a taboo word to say. Yeah. Um, and especially as early on as it was, ha uh, as, as it happened to you, it was still quite early doors in the, in the jab program, if you will. So I'm surprised yeah. that it was, but it, you know, you've got widespread clots like you've got and risk your both legs and you know it's you know they they can't ignore the obvious to an extent well i think very quickly within five hours they had i thought that this was to do with the vaccine because i've got no underlying health conditions i never have had so there was no real other ways to look that the only thing that happened in the last four or five weeks of any note um so it was really it took two weeks for them to fully verify it, but that was because the test that takes to do for that takes about three to six days to fully work through, and then I've got to go through an analysis. Um, but you know they were saying way before the amputation, you know it's looking like this is vaccine related because they couldn't go anywhere else, uh, and obviously that was something that I said. Well, if it's vaccine related, we need to know everything we can about it because that has to be stopped. Luckily for me, and I think here's what I think is the difference. I think that the NHS throughout the UK is fantastic. However, Scotland, Scotland, I think Wales and Ireland run their own NHS, NHS, although the NHS UK runs all of them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, this, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, they give them more local control over what they do when, with their funding. And, and I think that those down south are under far more pressure to not do certain things. If there's an issue, if they raise it, they seem to be getting shut down. I don't know whether it's maybe the, the, that sort of, a, because it's, although it's a Scottish NHS, it's not their problem that they're standing up fighting. They're trying to help. And I think they, they, their attitude is, well, why should we lie? A patient, this is what happened to a patient. It should be, you know, why should we not tell the truth? 
So I do admire their courage and their convictions. Um, but as it turns out, the six hematologists at Ian Myers University Hospital are part of the hematology task force, which was set up, I believe, early January 2020, when there were reports coming from around the world of these new illnesses that seem to be springing up. Whether there was, there was deliberate said to see if there was a correlation between the vaccines and this is another story. But the hematologist teams, they, these, these are the people that classified it, verified it, and did the studies. Who's going to argue with them? You know, so I, I, but I don't think that the, the UK hematologists had much say in the matter, shall we say. I think all the other ones around the world have said, no, we are putting this, this is an official case. Um, all, I know all the yellow card reports were done in my case because the surgeon that done them told me. He sat down and explained, I've filled all the yellow cards because this is something that has to be read. It's been raised with the, with the UK Health Regulations Authority who have still to this day to even contact me and acknowledge that something has happened to me. Just goes to show, isn't it, the difference? That's a whole other story. You know, the whole situation between trying to now, you, now you're out of hospital, you've got your journey to try and recover what health you have, which in that cases doesn't seem to be an awful lot, because it seems to be the the gift that keeps on taking, because as you notice, I've now got kind of heavy glasses on. Um, I did have glasses for reading, but I uh, had an optician eye test about eight weeks ago, six, eight weeks ago, standard test, and she said to me, you know, damage the deterioration in your right eye is not normal. Uh, my belief is that a microclot has exploded in your eye, damaged your eyesight, and flushed out. And so she's not medically trained, so therefore she's recommended me for a scan to medically check this out. But she's got 25 years' experience as an optician, so I'm going to go with her knowing what she's talking about if she believes it's something is in there. When I put it to hematology and the doctors, nobody said no. But nobody said yes either. Um, they've been quite honest in saying that, yeah, we think that's highly possible, but the mechanics to prove that are not available yet. Now, that's quite an interesting comment. When I looked further into that, you know, and I said, what does it mean by the, the mechanics? And she said, well, what we're finding is that VIT does all sorts of other things while it's in the system. You know, so some of us, I suffer from brain fog. I suffer from fatigue, uh, loss of appetite, insomnia, which is something I've always had. I used to survive four hours sleep. Now I'm doing it in two, two and a half to two some hours. Last night I got maybe four and a half hours sleep. That's a, a big sleep for me. So there's long-term effects where it doesn't seem to be moving, shall we say. However, the good news is we have had two vets cleared. At least two, they've got their bloods back to normal, everything's out of the system, they're off the thinners, and as far as haematology is concerned, they are normal human beings again. And that is fantastic news for people like me, because it gives us a bit of hope. Of course. Particularly myself, because um, while I seem to have been the first in the world to survive, with this, I seem to have been among the worst in the world affected by it. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every cloud, mate. Every cloud. This yeah. is the thing. Mate. I, I, I admire your optimism. Mate. I really do. Um, I just want to go back a little bit to ask you a couple more questions. So, before you went to take the jab, what what were your feelings around the scenario with with Rona and everything else? Were were you, were you genuinely scared, or were you just taking the jab because you just wanted to, you know, be a good person, to, you know, to help and all that kind of stuff, or were you genuinely oh. afraid at the time? Oh no, I was afraid. I was afraid for the old people in my life. You know, the lady downstairs, my mum, had been neighbours for nearly thirty years. Had fallen in a bathroom, broke her leg, went into hospital, never came out again. She'd COVID. You know, we isolated my mother for a year to protect her. My mother was the most social person you'll ever meet. My mother worked in pubs and bars for sixty years. My mother took half an hour to cross the road, and I do mean literally cross the road, a hundred yards to go to the shop and get the newspaper. It would take her half an hour to two hours. Not because she was slow, because she spoke to everybody and everybody knew her. She was an absolute legend. So when you're looking at people like that and they tell you, don't hug your granny, you're seeing people who weren't being allowed to say goodbye to their loved ones. You know, this, Christ, the BBC were constantly pushing, this is safe. You know, there's four doctors on the BBC that really need to take a good look at the practices because they're not doctors. Because the first line of doctors is do no harm. The second line is proper informed consent. And if you do not attend to any of those two, you're not a fucking doctor. And I'll tell you that to your face. And, and, and that, I, is, that is the general, yeah, you're, you're right there, mate. And, and that's, you know, it's a hypocritical oath for, for doctors, but most, most healthcare professionals or people who work in care, they adopt that same ethos, you know, not to cause any harm or injury. Yeah, you know, but that's, you know, that if you're a doctor, you're in a medical profession, you know, I'm a scaffolder. My first rule is we all go home. You know, it's be safe at all times. It doesn't change what job you're in. If, if, it's, if there's a potential of a fatality or a serious injury, then that should be in there every time you do something. You know, that was always, every morning you got up in the morning, you go out, mortal, let's get everyone home safe. And, that's, and I'm a scaffolder, and if I've got that ethos, and someone who's dealing with people's lives also has that ethos, do no harm. Make sure you make, make people aware of the dangers. You know, fairly tell them I've got a sore arm, you know, for a couple of hours, and maybe experience flu-like symptoms, and fairly, when we clearly now know that they knew so much more. And that's not informed consent, but that's for a legal case, which is in the often. So I don't want to talk too much about that. Um, I can't give you a brief. brief. But, but, there will, sorry, mate. There will, but, be a um, personal, sorry, there will be a personal trial um, for myself against the vaccine damage payment, or the government, shall we say, for the process of the vaccine damage payment scheme. Um, there will be a class action for the VIC cases because it's a classified condition and there will be a criminal case and that criminal case will involve those at heads of those companies and the head of the nhs and the head of the government because these are the people that know this is about these problems you know no. sorry i just oh how the hell did i get <laughs> other joys are doing stuff live eh <laughs> There he's back. Back. Um, sorry, where was I? 
So you, you were just saying, well, I, I kind of don't, I want to, because it's a couple of questions I want to ask you about that. But yeah, you do, you touched on the the the, the payment scheme and, and the court code, but I want to I, I want to jump back a little bit more, mate, because I will be asking about those questions. But yeah, sure. Um, it's interesting that you um so this may seem like a stupid question but i'm really trying to encapsulate the emotion behind the situation that you've been in so when when you kind of woke up from surgery and everything else and you know when did they first tell you that it potentially could have been because of the jab and, and then how did you feel when that seemed to be the, the the most obvious kind of reason um pretty much after seven and a half hours of the surgery when the consultant was kind of explaining to me what she experienced, you know, um, at that point I was told that she thought it was possibly linked to the vaccine, but they've got a lot of tests that they had to do in between. The reality is there was no other known reason to go. You know, there was no, it's not as if I've got an underlying health condition we can point out, but that's what's caused it or this has caused it. There was nothing. I was perfectly healthy. So they kind of know where to go with that one. Um, and to be honest, as soon as they mentioned it, in their opinion, it was vaccine related, I didn't let it go. And so, <laughs> I can imagine, dude. I, I can only imagine. I'm, a, I'm an angry person. For those people that know me, they think I'm angry all the time. But I keep telling everybody, you'd never see me angry. The, the way I am normally, like this is just me. But when I'm angry, um, and, and I suppose what would be worse is not knowing exactly who to be angry at yeah um i wasn't angry with the doctors in front of me they saved my life yeah. you know, um i certainly wasn't angry with the nursing staff they were looking after me i'm angrier than you i'm like yourself i might look the calmest person in the world but inside me right now the last person you want to be is boris johnson or any government minister and i'm I, that's not a threat of violence that's a threat of you fucked up my life You've done two things that you really shouldn't have done. You've pissed off a scaffolder. You've pissed off a Scottish scaffolder. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> you know, my attitude now is, I've got fuck all to lose, man. I've got fuck all to lose. They took everything from me. You know, so you want to take everything from me? All bets are off. You started the dirty trick shit. I will spend the rest of my days haunting these people. And see when I die... I'm going to haunt them in the afterlife. They will never get respect, respect from me. You might know how angry I feel. This is what I think we should do. See the people responsible. And I'm not talking about the people that put this into my arm. I'm not talking about the NHS or the doctors. I'm talking about the people that knew, the top people that pushed this, the government ministers, the UK Health Regulations Authority. These people are complicit in what they're doing. I ain't going away. I ain't going nowhere. I will fucking haunt you for the rest of your days. I'm telling you on every podcast, I will fucking haunt you for the rest of your days. Because you've took everything from me. And I'm never going to let you forget it. But here's the thing, not one of them, not one of them will stand six feet in front of me and stare in my face. Because they don't have the balls to do it. I'm not, I'm, I've never been scared of much in my life. Now I don't give a fuck. Which is a real dangerous problem for them and me. I mean, look, whether you believe, whether you believe in God, whether you believe in the universe or whatever, I, I definitely think you, the paths are laid out in front of you sometimes to do certain things. Yeah. Um, where this has ended up in the last year, you know, in fact, we were talking about this last night. I spent seven months screaming 
put it top of my lungs on social media, at the top of a cliff, into a roaring storm. Nobody was listening. Nobody. And I did a tweet in December that just seemed to have caught the imagination. I mean, we actually said that in December, I had something like 167 followers. In December, I had 167 followers. I've got 16,200. I'm just an ordinary guy for East End of Glasgow. I'm an old-fashioned mod. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Just trying to go through this life like everybody else. But one thing I am, I'm the most determined, thrown, stubborn bastard you've ever met. That was my mother's words for me. You're the most thrown, stubborn bastard I've ever clapped my eyes on. My mother was a very clever lady. She wasn't wrong. So I mean, there's so far with the play, obviously, but but it's um, again, though, still, still, so much admiration for what you're doing, mate. And I think the reason, the reason why people want to hear your story is one, because I think initially at the beginning, this is why I'm surprised that they they associated with it at the beginning, because I think because especially in Scotland there wasn't as much of a saturation of people having adverse reactions to it where there were, uh, and, and various other parts of the world, simply down to. Uh, population density in Scotland being less um, and there was less of them coming through um, you, you were lucky I know you weren't lucky with what happened but you were lucky that the, the people in the hospital at the time were going down that route because if they weren't your, your treatment and, and, and stuff could have been you know completely different oh I'm, I'm I'm rare in so many ways according to everyone I'm rare in the fact that I'm still alive I'm rare in the fact that this condition exists I'm rare that the doctors confirmed it and have on a couple of occasions on phone calls where I've said I've had to request my medical records because obviously they're legal cases and I want to make sure everything's there. And she said, Mr Mitchell, let us explain to you the haematology task force is 100% behind all the vets. Because at some point, somebody has to say, this has to change. I can't change what's happened to me. Nothing in this world's ever going to give me my leg or my life or my health back. That's a reality. But if I can change one person's life, make one person think, make one person, one parent, have a look at what's going on and ask some questions, then at least there's something positive coming out of this shit. Mate, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, mate. This is why I wanted to do this podcast, buddy, because I think that there's, there's so many voices and you've got high-profile voices that, that people they can relate to to an extent, but I think what we've lacked is like the inter-community uh, conversations that we need to be having. You know, the sort of conversation you have with your neighbour over the fence or make you yeah. down the shop and all this, because they're the people, they are the majority of, of people, and, and they are the majority of people that are suffering as well from, from the reactions, from the serious reactions. Yeah. And, and, and they're, scared they're scared to come forward because I'm not going to like you. The minute you put your head above that part of it, prepared for everything that comes your way oh yes uh, I'm a scaffolder I took more abuse in one day than you'll take in a lifetime <laughs> hey mate I was in the army dude so so I don't know mate <laughs> you, you, you understand 100%. the, the humour it's callous it's brutal it's at a level that most people would pick up their fists and go you dare speak to me like that and I think that's probably what's toughened me up in many ways um, because yeah I've took an abuse level that would probably put most men down. You know, I'd be told, yeah, go and die. You deserve it. You should have lost both legs. Uh-huh, hope you got another. 
you know, 95% of these are no names, no faces, none entities who have got less than 100 followers. Ignore them. They're not However, Yeah, they're a bot. You know, however, if you're a real face and a real name and you've been nasty with me, don't expect me not to fucking come back to you. I'll call you out. I don't care who you are. I don't care how big you are. And I, I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I'm, I've got fuck all to lose. So therefore, I've got nothing to be scared of. That's a dangerous thing. No, no, no. It's it's just, it's it's good, mate. Because I, I, it's just it's good. It's it's gold, mate. It's gold. Because I just it's. I've seen it. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter and other social platforms, uh, you know, trying to discuss these things. And I've I've heard people saying, you know, that just the feeling of being ignored, and and it just really it really upset me because I work in healthcare for the time being. I work in healthcare, and I've been in situations as a paramedic before where you know people they give you that look of like you know despair you are the only thing that can save me right now and also so i understand from that emotional perspective how not desperate but how alone and um needing of of help and support people can be in those situations so i can only imagine and there's situations that we've actually been called to where they've been you know an official uh emergency or injury you know sent through whereas in your cases there's so many other people and this is what brings me into my next question basically is so obviously you've you clearly weren't made aware of the risks before having the jab um did she explain to you anything to look out for other than the usual sore arm maybe feel a bit unwell but nothing else that was invariably sore arm and 48 hours of cold flu like symptoms no mention of this could cause clots no mention of this could kill you no mention of this could lose your leg no mention of any of that you know that's not informed consent now wow. that's I'm not going to go for the person to put it in my arm because they're only getting told what to do. But this is the problem, mate. So, and, and I've had this conversation before. So the person prescribing the medication isn't actually at fault. The person who breaks the skin barrier is unfortunately the person that will be, um, that they'll come after. And they know this. And this is why they got so many people to just give jab after jab after jab because the person who, this, the person who's given the injection or you know, breaking your skin barrier per se, who's responsible for getting your consent and making sure you have informed consent. Yeah. The doctor who wrote the script, it's nothing to do with him. So all these nurses and firemen's and all these people that have been given jabs thinking they're helping, if it comes out that situations were not as transparent as they could have been, if the government payout scheme dries up, which it very well can do with these people wanting to, you know, write the so form of compensation. And who are they going to go after then? So, so here's a thought process, and I've I've, I've discussed this with with my wife and a couple of other things. Moderna's Moderna's only product was was that jab, right? Um, so, how do we know that some of these companies they weren't made with the intention, or their intention was to just give the jabs, knowing what would happen? There'd be certain people eventually that would come after them for compensation. They would then go bust, right? The government payout schemes would then go bust. So the lawyers will be then saying. Well, you need to go after the person that gave you the injection. And that's when people become personally liable. And this is something I've been trying to obviously not shout about, but this is why I've never given it. Uh, and I won't take it or give it because of that exact thing. Uh, and and from, from my perspective, when we give drugs by mistake or too much or too or whatever, when we've not, you know, I, not that I've done that, but, you know, it does happen. Um, the, the, the trouble you can get into for doing something like that 
is ridiculous. And that's a, dr that's a drug you're able to give and you were aware of at the time, but you may have made a mistake, whatever. But these these people can't turn around and say, well, I wasn't told that because they can turn around and say, well, as a person giving it, you should have asked. So they yeah. very heavily shirk the blame. I think that that's their way of trying to get out of it. Of course, However, yeah. if I say, right, Anne Smith gave me the injection, I'm going to sue Anne Smith. Anne Smith doesn't have the answers because she wasn't given them. Anne Smith then, only option is to give me her boss. Because legally, if Anne Smith hasn't been told by her boss, this has caused blotting issues, there's reports going back two decades, there's all these adverse reactions to yellow cards. Forget the numbers that get in, because I'm responsible for about seven yellow cards. This is what people seem to get mixed up on. Forget the numbers that's going in. The fatalities cannot be changed. The fatalities are fatalities. That's the number you're looking at. And that number is through the roof for any novel new drug medicine procedure. Now, the SARS COVID vaccine that they tried to bring out killed 53 people and it was pulled worldwide. VIT has killed 79, 78 people in the UK alone. Why is it still on the market? Well, yeah, that was it. It was the Mar MERS. Was it MERS or Mars the first time round? And it gave some kids some mm. uh, narcolepsy yeah. as well, I think it yeah. was, wasn't it? Yeah. When they, and they, the whole horror of when you come out, and you, you, I think you're going to touch on that, is you then try and how do I sort my life? I've got bills, I've got a mortgage, I've got all that to do. What's the first thing I do? That is where the, the real massive issue is. I spent 10 months just to get pip. Right. 10 months. Is that because it was trying to prove that it was because of the jab? No, apparently this is a, a standard that can take that long. Right. Do I have to take that long for someone to wait for any financial support? Basic state benefits. This is the sum total of the preparation for a pandemic. So let's go. There's, not a, there's a virus. That is not up for debate. Killing people, that's not up for debate. What we now know and what we know then is two different things. But we'll go with just the basic journals. So therefore, if something was needed to help with that, this thing. That was not up for debate. Was it a higher risk brushing them through earlier? Yes, that's not up for debate. So there's a there's a higher risk knowing a higher risk of it going wrong because we've had to speed things up. That's not up for debate. We can get to the stage where we can create this wonderful sequence of DNA in two hours, by the way, two hours according. When we got the sequence from Japan, it took them two, two and a half hours to come up with this vaccine. That lady got £40 million. Pound. £40 million. Pound. I hope the fuck she can sleep every night looking in the mirror. I hope every time she looks in the mirror, she sees my face and the people, all the deaths that she's caused. Wimbledon, they gave her a, a round of applause. I'd fucking hang her for Wimbledon. She knew exactly what she was doing. But that's another story. Well, so, this there's no the argument. We needed a vaccine and it had to be created massive. It had to be rolled out. Now, you're ex-military. You can tell me the logistics of running that through all the centres, all the test centres, doing it by age group, sweeping it up. You missed your first appointment, your second appointment, your third appointment. How much time and effort and thought went in the logistics of that? That is military-grade logistics. And the UK should take credit for how quick it rolled that kind of thing out. That logistic was fantastic. So therefore, very, very clever people that thought all this out. 
So we'll get to when it goes wrong, because we know there's a higher risk of going wrong. What will we do? Here's what we'll do. We'll keep the existing state benefits and we'll take an old policy for the 1970s that's been tried to reform three times that is not fit for purpose, and we'll add two words, two single words, COVID-19 vaccines. That's the sum total of the preparation for going wrong. That is immoral, it is illegal, it is everything that you can imagine it is. Now, if I take everything out of the picture and just take that and me against that, that's a deliberate, you're getting shut up. We don't want to know about you, we don't want to talk about you, you don't exist. The reality is, these people would rather I just died and went away. These people better wake up. I ain't going no fucking well. Honestly. I mean, they can't be um, having vaccine hesitancy. That's the thing, isn't it? And this is this is why, for some of us, when they were talking about the only way out of this whole situation was through the vaccine, that's right, not really okay, how so you I'll, anything, I'll you know? go with that. Right. So the only way out was a vaccine. Therefore, let's make sure that should it go wrong, we make sure we look after these people. And that will solve your vaccine hesitancy. Now, when I tell people, I've... I'm still on basic state benefits. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm fighting for compensation. Now, that is a different story. The whole vaccine damage payment scheme, that is the biggest, that causes, that's caused more trauma and grief than what the vaccine has done here. That's the truth. I submitted a claim to the Vaccine Damage Payment Scheme on the 23rd of April 2020. I received a letter on the 2nd of June saying they received all my evidence because I sent all my medical paper, what I had at the time with it, received that, and they will begin investigating. However, it may take some time, and I had to prove two things. One, I had to prove it was most likely caused by a vaccine. Two, I had to be at least 60% severely disabled. That's the criteria. Now, 12 years ago, in two, 10, uh, 12, 10 years ago, sorry, 2012, it was revamped and it was lowered from 80% disabled. I wouldn't have qualified if it was 80% disabled. How's that set up to suit the common man that puts his arm to save the planet or to save the country? That's not that's not acceptable. No. So the problem with that, I've seen two things, but anyway, I proved those two things with the documentation I sent down. I waited six weeks, made a phone call to the number I was given, which turns out the only number available at that time for the vaccine damage payment scheme, which was run by the Department of Works and Pensions, was a voicemail. I need to leave your name, your address, your phone number, why you were calling and leave, leave that message. I phoned that number every week for four months, leaving the same message. Could you give me some definition of what what some time is? Because legally that's 21 days. In November, I gave up and contacted my MSP. And luckily my MSP has been fantastic. In that time, she has wrote two letters to the DWP, which they ignored. That's from an MP. So my phone calls were doing fuck all for four months. Our letters were doing nothing. It was then transferred on the first of December, first of November, sorry, to the 
the National Health Service Business Service Authority, they were taking over the vaccine damage payment scheme. I contacted them in late December and was told my medical records had been sent for. And on the 23rd or the 24th of February, I contacted them again to be told my medical records still hadn't been sent for. And I said, hold on a minute. You tell me in one place that you've sent for the records and now you're telling me you're not. Do you know what? I'm not going to shout about you. Get my manager to call me back. Half past eight on Friday night, still no call back. I took to social media, Twitter. And I tagged them in it saying, this is standard disgusting, usual, nine months, no one wanted help, to ignore the abandoned, nothing, nothing changed. And they responded on social media. They actually responded via Twitter. And I asked, you know, I gave them my details, they promised me somebody would call me on a Monday, and a manager called me on a Monday. As, just to give you an update. I said, well, that, the lot, short of the conversation was asked for some actions to be taken and asked her to give me an email within the hour confirming that those actions had been recognised and I would wanted an update on the Friday of a full timeline review into my case from the 23rd of April. She responded on the Friday saying she needed another week. I gave her the other week and she still didn't call me back. I phoned four times and eventually she called me back. And when she called me back, she couldn't tell me anything different. I said, so what are you wasting my time and your time for? And on that call, she said a couple of things that really screwed me. And she asked me if I could get my doctor to give a personal letter saying how disabled I was. And that seemed like a fair question. And I said, why would I ask my doctor to do that? Well, it might help your case. And I said, you're asking my doctor to give his professional personal opinion. Is that so that you stand up in court, you can bring in the expert to say it's his personal opinion? See, this is the problem I have with you as people. You fucking lie and you tell lies and you twist everything. And she said, sorry, but you missed it, because that's not your policy. The policy is you already got all that information and you don't need that from me. You use a sliding scale that's been used for 50 years on disablement. It goes from zero to 100% as used by most European medical uh, organisations and insurance companies as part of your government. That's, that's a government policy. Well, you seem to know what you're talking about. I said, well, clearly I have to if I'm dealing with people like you. I said, now, I can tell you, this was before the numbers were released, two, literally three days before the numbers were released, I, said, I can tell you you've got 920 cases sitting in front of you and not one of them have been actioned on. How can you tell me that? I said, because if you haven't fucking got my medical records, you haven't got anybody else's. She couldn't argue with me. You seem to know your figures. I said, I don't want to speak to you anymore. Because now you're trying to be misleading and you're trying to get information that could cost me my, my 120,000 fucking pound for the loss of my leg. Never mind the trauma. You had a couple of zeros onto that and you might get close to fucking helping me at 12 million. That wouldn't even come close to what I've lost. But it sends out a message. I know the answer to that. See these, the UK Health Regulations Authority, managing directors, or board of directors, and the board of directors of AstraZeneca, because that's the company I'm going for. Take all their personal wealth, 
Then throw them in prison till their bodies fucking stop moving. Then drag that rotten carcass put into the sun and leave it in the street till it rots. Is that is that not evil? Is that not inhumane? Is that not medieval? Well, that's what these bastards are doing to us. They're killing, maiming, destroying people's lives on a medieval scale, in a medieval way. I'm not I'm not a bitter man. I'm an angry man. And I think that's a fucking just. You want to treat me as if I'm medieval times? No, I think the punishment should fit. But take out their personal wealth. That'll stop these bastards ever doing it again. Because Pfizer and AstraZeneca are among the most fine companies in the fucking world. And they're telling governments what to do. We've got Bill Gates. Bill fucking Gates. A guy that runs computers. Telling people what medicines. And governments what medicines. And they're listening to him. When did that become normal? He's not even a fucking doctor. I've probably got more medical experience than Bill Gates. Just in the last year. get it off your chest buddy get it off your chest if it's not you talking about it it'll only be me so but to to put things back on track slightly so you 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 obviously said you were quite lucky have you did you meet any doctors at any point that you know wouldn't accept well no let me rephrase the question um were there any doctors or healthcare professionals in your journey um that that were not accepting of the of the diagnosis and put it down to something else did you meet any problems like that at all oh yeah not the ones that i see face to face right other doctors particularly these you know social media experts you know they come in and you can tell when they ask a question they think that they're a doctor and they, they i've actually people say it's not possible what's happened to you you know and they want to argue like that you just claim, and I said, I don't claim anything. I don't need to fucking claim anything. I'm telling you, the hematologist specialists who are the best in the world have came to me and said, this is what you've got. So you go and argue with them. Um, let's see. You've, you've answered most of my questions and you've done a splendid job. So I, I do thank you for that, mate. So another couple of questions then. Have you experienced much censorship in trying to get your message out? I know, obviously, you said you started with only a few followers and then... Because didn't you go on to um, someone's show in the States um, yes. to talk about your case? Yes. Um, I ended up... It's quite, <laughs> the last six weeks or four weeks have been a bit of a mental whirlwind. I ended up on the Alex Jones show on Infowars. Hmm. And the reason for that was that one of the reporters is on social media, on Twitter, and I did an anniversary post that went 2 million views. That kind of notifications on your phone is like a fruit, bar, fruit machine. It just, it just keeps spinning. You can't keep up with it. My followers have gone up by 300 within 10 minutes. And this chap had seen it, decided to do an interview based on what he saw. He published it. But he said he did try to reach out to me, but I'm not going to see that notification. I'm getting thousands an hour. There's been no chance of keeping up with it. And he basically used this put a story, you know, man loses his leg, but unfortunately used an article from the Sunday Post, which was done two weeks after me being amputated. I was home two days when a, a, a chap that who's a freelance photographer, I took some photographs on my scooter seven years ago and I kept in touch with some of the boys. And one of them had said to him, and he said, I'll do some photos and see if I can get a story out there. 
which was brilliant. And he gave it to the Sunday Post and we did an interview and then the interviewer came out and it said that, you know, one in a million are just people to go and get the vaccine. Right. Um, so they covered like, it, obviously covered it in a, in a, in a light that this is so rare, this shouldn't discourage you from, from going, basically. So um, I've had to defend that article for over a year now on a regular basis. You could, you know, you're still urging people here. I never heard anybody get anything. Now, I will say that a reporter from then come back to me and wanted to do a follow-up. I did explain that that's not something I was prepared to do because it wasn't just me that had done it. They've actually done it to 16 other people, not just that newspaper, other news uh, arenas, shall we say, have taken what people have said and totally put it the other way. So you're not experiencing so much censorship, Martin, rather more uh, misdirection, <laughs> misinformation, the irony. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've been restricted on Twitter twice, one for 12 hours because I called somebody a few things. Somebody was being an, an absolute knob end. Um, and as I said earlier, I'll call you out. Not for me. I do it for the people that's in the background, not feeling strong enough, that wish they could call people out. Well, I call them out and I say it's exactly to them. You've disproved me. We'll see how we go. I know I'm going to win. That's what I call it out for. It's to keep people behind me and know, well, you don't like to take this crap. This is human beings we're talking about, people's lives, and you think it's all right, okay to come in and make statements like that. No, I'm, I'm not accepting it. We've lost four people to suicide in the last three, four months. Two of, them, two of them will be called long haul COVID, COVID, uh, long COVID. These, you know, so it's not just people has been. I'm not just trying to get people help the support. You know, that's been injured by a vaccine. I'm trying to get people help that's been injured by a virus as well. You know, and it's not everybody. The gaslighting that was on is absolutely horrific, um, and that's the thing that we need to change more than anything. I can show you videos of nurses saying to patients, "You spoke to someone for at length about your condition. Do not argue. Do not debate this with me." And turns out the chap was right. He'd never spoken to a cardiologist. This is a gaslighting that's going on. Uh, that has to stop because at that point, and I think we're at that moment in time, we're very close to a time, and I do mean in weeks, where every medical profession is going to have to make a decision. Oh, mate. This is... <clears throat> This is something that's grieved me from the beginning of this whole situation. So obviously, I've wanted to set up a podcast and do something similar to this for ages, but I'm a nobody. So it was, it was, you know, it was something I wanted to do, but I just knew it would be difficult. Um, and then when obviously I did the the video with with the Together Declaration uh, group, which you know, kind of gave me a little bit of a leg up. Things didn't pan out with them as a, as 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 well as I wanted it to, um, but that's a story for another day. And then um, I got in contact with the NHS 100K crew and we, we're going to do a, a podcast about them as well because what they've been doing behind the scenes and still are doing behind the scenes um, is amazing. And there's only four of them, right? And they're all girls, mate. All right? right. So, so so this this is another thing that grieves me as I'm like, where are the men at? All right? You've got all these guys, big guys, you know, hooligans, you know, massive people, whatever. Where are they at? I can't believe that that that, that I can believe, but but it's it's sad that they're, you know... Yeah. I understand some of it. You know, people have got kids, mortgages. 
I, I totally understand that. That, that you know they're scared and that, that you know they're being pushed a certain direction from up above. I don't have an issue with people that's in that position. They're not the problem. It's the people up above. But what we are close to, and I do mean within weeks of people in healthcare standing up and saying this is wrong. Because if you don't, you're part of the problem. I think we're past that point now, mate. That that that's the that's that was a concern for me. I, I get what you're saying about people with with more Yeah, we're trying to be nice about it and saying. You know, you're coming up to the point where you're either on the side of let's try and stop this, let's try and repair some of the damage, let's try and make this better if we possibly can, or you're now part of what's clearly something that's evil. There's no other way of looking at this now. It's no fucking, there's no grey areas, you've got no get out clauses, there's no black and white. It's as simple, you're either part of the help or you're part of the fucking problem. If you're part of the problem, you're my enemy, get to fuck. And I do mean that. I don't have the time anymore. I don't. That's the one thing I have become so less tolerant of, of anybody in officialdom. I mean, yeah. the chief executive officer of the guy that runs you, I'm going to cost him his job. I'm telling you that on a podcast. And I want you to broadcast that. I'll tell you his name. You know his name, Michael Brody. I'm going to cost him his job. That man has lied in writing to an MP. He's lied and writing to an MP. So that's obviously, a, go on, sorry. No, that, that's another case that will come. You know, this is the, the problem. I don't have one legal case. And I'm not a legal case person. I couldn't give a flying fuck. But you're, if you're stupid enough to put yourself in a position where I've got you through the balls, legally, that's your problem, not mine. I've got plenty of legal firms that want to take these cases on. I was just going to ask that. So have you, have you, you know, so the problem, not the problem that we've got now, but, but I, the, the general herd mentality of things is we were fighting this right at the start. As soon as we could see what they were doing with the carers. And I always talk about the carers because it's the yeah. most undervalued, underrated and underappreciated um, part of the health, health sector machine, in my opinion. And we're experiencing now what happens when you, you force and you you did force sixty thousand carers to, to 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 quit. Now we've got no carers in the community. Now we can't offload patients. Yada yada yada. And this is this is experiencing this everywhere. As soon as I could see that happening, and 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 I could see what this would have meant in the future. Trying to get people to realise it's not about this particular thing that they're trying to get you to do right now. It'll be the other the other things they'll get you to do when you've agreed to let this happen. They're not going to come in straight away and go right. We just want you to take this, but. What the eventual goal is is we want to we want to control how many kids you have in your family. Oh, they do it in other countries already, but this is this is where it can lead to if we yeah. don't have a little bit more foresight instead of just being believing everything we, we we get told from the people on the telly that are supposed to know what they're talking about. They've done a very good job in just if you haven't got degrees or whatever, you you can't have an opinion, which I think is rubbish. Most of the people I've spoke to throughout the last two three years regarding this. Have been some of the smartest people I know who haven't had degrees. In fact, people with degrees have been the worst to try and talk to about this sort of stuff. I think that's down to how we educate people. Yeah, you know, I can sit and read a book. Does that make me educated? I wouldn't say so. I really wouldn't. Um, I'll give you a sort of a some of these people. Some of the people are educated, qualified beyond belief. That just proves that they can read and retain and repeat information. 
education to me is you going finding out for yourself what anything particularly means. I've read lots of my life. I've watched millions of programs and films. Am I educated? I've got some qualifications. I'm experienced. That's a different story. Education is fuck all. All that proves is that you've, you've got a brain, you're capable of retaining information. A brain is thinking round the problem, not going, right, I was taught that A has to happen before B has to happen. That's not education. That's just showing, that's no intelligence. That's just showing that you can do something. You know, we've shown monkeys today plenty of things. Didn't we say that they're educated? You know, so your qualifications mean absolutely fuck all to me, and so does your reputation. I really mean that. Um, I'll show you respect, you show me. You're respectful to me, I'll be respectful to you. You be nippy to me, you get what's coming. And I try and try, try, try be nice to people. It costs us nothing. But know when it's time to go, hold on a minute. I think that's what the problem is. Lots of people know what they want to do, but they don't know how to do it, shall we say. Hang on, I'm going to get something. It has happened to me live. You're sitting there going, oh, dear. I know, this is it. Well, listen, I want to um, I want to ask you a couple more questions and then we'll wrap it up because we're coming up to like yeah, about sure. an hour and a half now anyway. So um, I'm conscious that, you know, you've got shit to do. Um, so let's use the last. So I've asked you all the questions I want to ask you, really. You've been you've been amazing in, in, in that sort of stuff. So I know that there's... Um, legal cases going on i know there's only so much you can t you can discuss about it a couple of questions i want to ask you about that is the first one are you going are you doing it on your own or is there a, a um collaboration is there a group of you that um people that are going to be going in it together i've seen a combination of the the one with regards to me against the vaccine damage payment scheme that'll be more judicial review um so that's a kind of a personal separate one there is a, a class action for VITs only uh, that's been being raised against the government for the VIT cases, and it's on their own. There's also a criminal case that's been started. Uh, the, the original paperwork statements have been handed in, and a crime reference number has been made. That's not going to go anywhere in many ways, but you're, you're ticking boxes, and that's where we are. We're ticking boxes so that in five years' time or two years' time or whenever, so no one can come back and say, we didn't do that. Oh, yes, we did. We ticked that box. So we're, that's kind of where we are with that. Um, some of these cases will take years. Some, I think, will go very quickly. I think that the minute the, the Christopher Chope is due to do his second reading for the vaccine damage payment reform, he now has, I believe, roughly anywhere between 50 and 80 MPs behind them supporting the bill. Now, given the fact they stood up in Parliament itself and everybody fucked off out of the Parliament while we did the bill the first time, apart from three people, that's a start. Because for months, for over a year, no one in politics has been interested and wants to know. Nobody wants to go against the, the narrative of, well, these vaccines are safe, these are good for everybody, you know, do the right thing, protect society. Well, you tell the truth, because we now know that the average age of death in the UK is 82, and that's for, from COVID. The average age of death before that, I uh, sorry, was 81, 
and that was dead before that was 82. So we have basically tried to vaccinate a full world's population to save 1% of the population. We've kind of went the arse way about it. Would you not protect that population first? And then what that's what we usually do, you know, with yeah. the pneumonia jab, with with shingles, you know, all that sort of stuff. You offer you offer it to the to the elderly and the vulnerable. That's it, because they're the only ones usually that are at risk of there being serious complications from from what it yeah, is. Yeah, you know, so we don't know that unless you're seventy, you know, and unless you're under seventy with underlying known underlying health conditions, then we really shouldn't have been saving anyone, vaccinating anyone under the age of 70. Because there's a 1% fatality rate for anybody that's normally fit and healthy. I had a 99% chance of surviving this shit. So they've lied. This is the thing that's the web of lies that, you know, when you start to pick away all of it. Right? So they lied about the, the efficiency of the vaccine. They lied about the effects. They've lied about the, the, the fact that they knew 20 years ago the, the adrenaline vector, adrenaline vector that they were using in the DNA section to drive this for AstraZeneca caused blood clots 20 years ago. There's a report out. The, the UK Health Regulations Authority have been asked this question, the same two questions for two years now and are still not answered. You know, this is the mob that regulate and decide what medicines come into this country. It's really strange that 95% of them on the board of directors, all their funding, all their research, all their studying, all their learning has been paid for by either Pfizer or AstraZeneca. And that's clearly a conflict of interest. We now know that there's a live investigation going into the fact that there's been payments made to these same people over the last two years by the same two companies. How is that not a conflict of interest? You know, it just keeps going down and down and down, and you're saying to yourself, "Okay, you knew why? Why did they use chimpanzee vector DNA? Why did they use dead fetal DNA?" Now, this is just the, the facts that we know. I'm not going to go down the graphic route and things like that because that's for other people. I'll stick to what we know and we can prove. If we knew that, then then they deliberately made a choice before they rolled this out. And that negates any indemnity. So as is any a fucked. Fraud in it. Fraud negates <laughs> everything, doesn't it? Well, here's here's a classic right. If if AstraZeneca gave the same data to both the FDA and the UK Health Regulations Authority, and the, the FDA refused the emergency use act on AstraZeneca in America because the data was incomplete, out of date and incorrect. Yeah, the same data was sent to the UK and they went ahead with it. Now, well, they they initially, sorry, mate, they only initially did the age group up to 44, I think, and they were told to go back and increase it to, to over 65. And the argument is that they didn't actually do that. They just changed it on the paperwork. Well, we know that because the <laughs> Norway health regulations alerted everyone in the world round about the first week in February of these 13 to 16 fatal cases and we now are classified as definite fit because all of them have five, the five symptoms of definite fit. The UK government got that in the first week in February. They released it on the 11th of April to the UK. But the 25th of March, AstraZeneca changed its name to Vaxervia or Covishield. It was slowly withdrawn 
in the UK because there's very few people get it now. They changed the name. They didn't change the ingredients. They rattled another 1.7 billion doses and sent them to 170 poorer countries. Now, the UK and America and some other places in the West have the best medical resources in the world. That's not for debate. Now, if our system struggled with this fucking thing, what chance is Africa or any other poor country that doesn't have their facilities? They won't even know what that is. They won't even know how to treat it. That is criminal. Before you know, that, that it's not as if these are facts that I've stated for a year now, and Twitter's not restricted me. Why? Because it's the truth. I know a lot of people in Africa. They're um, they're already suspicious of white man medicine anyway. Thanks to Valentine Gates. How many yeah. deaths because was that twenty years ago? Well, there was the there was the polio jab that the, the polio vaccine that, the, that they created, which actually started or recreated a wild strain of polio again, yeah. essentially in Africa. And then there was the HPV vaccine as well, which killed a lot of girls and made the, loads of them infertile and didn't actually protect them against H, HPV. So when you look at the data from Bowen, Africa... Go on, mate, what, did what did Bowen Belinda do when that happened? Nothing. They just pulled out of Africa and done fuck all. Because no one knows what's going on, mate. That's the problem, you see. They don't advertise that they yeah. do this sort of stuff. Um, and, and, and Bill and Melinda gave the UK government $40 million to help the, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. Mm. Why, would mean, they, why, why, why would they want to do that? This is the thing, mate. It's all intertwined, isn't it? You, you yeah. know, but the, the problem we've got is... is, is so I, I I like to bring in conversations that I have with my family because I just like people to, to, to know that my family, just like everyone else. So I had a conversation with my mum yesterday saying, look, I'm doing this this podcast. I've got some really good guests coming on. And um, <laughs> all she turned around and said was, "Is um, don't be saying nothing about that Bill Gates bloke. And don't be saying anything that's like, you know, going to make you look stupid and all this. And I was like, well, what does that, what do you mean by that, mum? Because for the last sort of two years, I've been talking to you about stuff. And you kind of smile and go, yeah, 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 I agree, I agree. Three doses down the line, you know, <laughs> she's, I'm like, well, you don't, you, you're just smiling and waving. So, so it's just, I just want people to realise that those of us that are still fighting the fight and have been from the beginning, we haven't got much support either. All right. I mean, my wife, oh, didn't, yeah. my wife didn't believe me for, I say believe me, she, she wasn't on board for, for a good 12 months. So, so it's difficult. And I know that there are people out there that have spouses or partners that, don't agree that it's as sinister as what we're trying to make it out uh, out like and things. Now, I, I want to say to those people, the reason why is because we've already had the adult conversations with people and friends and asked those questions to get to where we are now. The other people haven't. And you don't just get up in the morning and go, there's this reaction, Bill Gates did it, all right? Because that's not how you do these things, but that's how they portray it. And that's why people who discuss that sort of stuff get put in the tinfoil hat conspiracy theories category. Whereas those people that have been looking into this from the start, the natural progression, you follow the steps, you follow the breadcrumbs, you put the two pieces together, you follow the money and, and you get to the same result every time. But we need yeah. to be getting people who are just starting this journey. We need to get them to be asking the right questions about this situation first, which then organically always lead to where we know it leads to. Um, but but we can't skip this bit. We have They have to come through, but they first yeah. have to be asking the questions I like think, we're asking today, you know, did they know? 
They the communicate with people. There's three questions, three easy questions, particularly when it comes to where they're going now with, with, with these things. One, is there a, can you provide the independently verified safety data? Two, will the pharmaceutical company look after me or my child for life and I'm doing support properly for life, for its entire life? Will this government support me or my child for its entire life? And I see if the answer to any of those threes is no. As an individual, as a human being, as a parent, you should be really asking questions about why that answer is no. And the scary thing is, the answer to all three is no. There's no safe, independent, verified safety data for children. The pharmaceutical company won't look after you, your fucking child, and neither will the government. So why are you letting near your children? Child? Pfizer's own bottle. Literature states do not give this to under 12-year-olds. I mean, look, mate, without, without touching on the Pfizer stuff too much... Yeah, but um, no, that's the reality. You know. No, 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 no. I'm saying that that in itself is a is, is a rabbit hole. But they they're an issue. Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The fact that they were there to be if the to, um, to release don't the mind. data. God, yeah, sorry. Don't fucking children, please, for the love of God, I can show you. I can show you pictures of parents and their kid in their coffin. An eight-year-old, a ten-year-old, a thirteen-year-old in Brazil. An eight-year-old, a twelve-year-old in Sao Paulo. The list goes on and on of children that, that you know doesn't why? Why? Why are we giving them to children? There's no there's no medical need. I'm not a doctor. But I don't know doctors telling I don't know a decent qualified doctor who's open and honest saying this is the right move. So therefore it's about money. Because it's not about protecting. Who are we protecting now? It's endemic, this pandemic. They're trying to push a vaccine that's not suitable for the virus that's, that's getting there because it's mutated. They've not changed the vaccine. But the virus is mutated, but they're still pushing the vaccine for a, for a virus that doesn't, doesn't work with. That allegedly doesn't make allegedly it's mutated. We we have no idea because we've the, the you know there is the the whole thing of whether it's been isolated, whether it's mutated, or whether it's just you know, I know that they say that the vaccine program could have encouraged mutations and so forth. We, we the, the honest answer is we don't know. We still don't yeah. know. That, and if we that, don't know, then we should be strong. Hmm. You know, in history. These three, we'll call the three main ones, which, which is obviously Moderna, Pfizer, and AstraZeneca, have killed and injured more people combined than all other medicines in history combined over the last 27 plus years. So you take every medical product that's been put onto the market in the last 27 plus years and add every reaction of every one of them, it doesn't even come close to what's happening here. And yet we're still going ahead with it. Now, I don't need to be qualified medically. I don't need to be clever. I don't need to be intelligent to see that that doesn't add up. And yet we're still pushing on with it. You so know? you, so this is interesting because obviously I, I still work in medicine for the time being, and so I had a certain degree of knowledge when all this was coming about. I've got friends in different places. You know, the conversations were had to, to kind of get my knowledge where it needed to be. But so. You went into this obviously prior to, to the jab and, and the, and, you know, the, the injury and everything else. 
probably knowing not very much about anything. No. And would, would you have we said knew you were we right. knew it was killing people? So you were trying to, you know, the pressure was on. Don't hug your granny. Don't, don't, Christ. People weren't even allowed to say cheerio to their loved ones when they were passing. You know, this thing was deadly. It was killing everybody. So you, you, you want to do the right thing. Of course. So if That's you were. Okay, so if you were. Because obviously I, I really want to keep this, this real, as I keep saying. If you were speaking to someone, and we're not trying to wake people up here per se, yeah. but say somebody's that they've had a VIT injury or they've had an injury or lasting symptoms that you could, I mean, there's the, the, the this conversation that long COVID is actually adverse reactions to the jab, but we're not really sure yet. But if you were, if you were to speak to someone who was just starting to think, actually, this, this doesn't been right since I've taken this, where would you signpost these people to go to, uh, to initiate conversations and meeting people with the same sort of mindset, you know, because obviously it's quite, it can be quite isolating and you know it's not yeah, at all. A lot of people seem to think that they're alone and they're not. Um, two, two easy places, the VARS report and the yellow card report. Don't look at the numbers going in, they're inflated because I'm responsible as I say for seven or eight possibly yellow cards. Look at the baseline number of fatalities. That that's that's that, there's your answer there. Is this going to hurt me? Is this going to kill me? Now, if you look at the number of possible reactions, now we've got myocarditis, pyocarditis, POTS, trachea, hepatitis, pancreatic cancer, amputations, neurological issues, brain issues, heart issues. The, the range of these is, you know, it's A to Z of people are experiencing. People, what I say is, look, okay, maybe you've got one or two, fiend, uh, maybe jump on this bandwagon, I don't really want to work up. the vaccines hurt me and all the rest of it. But it doesn't take away from the fact that I can show you cases of people like myself. I need to stand up and show you a picture. And if that doesn't convince you there's a problem with some of these vaccines, I don't. then there's nothing I can do to help you. You know, I'm not here to tell you to take it, not take it. I'm here to tell you there's risks, there's dangers. Know what the risks are, know what the dangers are. Then you're informed and you know exactly what you're walking into. At the moment, you're walking in signing up for something that could potentially kill you, amputate your legs, stop you walking for the rest of your days and make you go blind. That's just me. You know, I could name people people that who had so much life to go for. An 18-year-old? An 18-year-old? And people wonder why I, I, I'm so passionate and so driven and so focused on this. I never want another anybody to go through a quarter of what I went through and I do mean that the black moments, the dark places they're not for everybody it's not a good place to be now what I'll say on that is that we're entitled to be angry sad, depressed, grief every emotion, we're entitled to have that and you're entitled to go there and I don't judge you people think that's the hard road or the easy road, it's not as fucking hard road to just to switch off and shut off of the world. That doesn't work for me. Because in 10 years' time, everybody that I love will buggered off and left me. Because who wants to spend 10 years with somebody that doesn't want to love? That, you know, that doesn't work for me and it doesn't work for my daughters and it doesn't work for my wife and it doesn't work for, for my philosophy in life.
it's okay visiting these places. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm feeling down or I'm angry or I'm really hot or whatever. Any emotion. It's when you stay in that emotion, that's when it's not healthy for you. And that's the problem. We we don't always recognise the signs that we're in this that room. And once you're in that room and the door's closed, it's very difficult to get out of it. And that's the one place I do my best not to go near and I do my best to try and stop others going. I'll do everything I possibly can to stop losing one more life. And I do mean that. I've sat with people at four in the morning, six in the morning, four or five hours on a phone call. It wasn't because I wanted to talk to them and because I wanted to make sure that we're still fucking here. That's the level of it. Now, I'm no anything special. I'm just a fucking guy for the East End of Glasgow. Working class guys just try to get through this shit show the same as everybody else. The only difference between me and everybody else is I don't give a fuck anymore. I've got nothing to lose. And I do mean that. You're a legend, mate. That's what you are. So, or a legend. One of the two. Well, both, mate. With a sense of humor as well, mate. That's honestly, definitely. <laughs> so I want to finish on some positive notes um, because it's uh it's just good yeah, that's so, object, it? <laughs> well it is mate and the thing is though buddy there's going to be plenty of other people we talk about uh we talk with over the next few weeks as well about this sort of stuff there's going to be some hard-hitting conversations uh that people need to need to, to listen to and, and and to hear um in my opinion anyway because i think people need a window into the other narrative that that's going on for them to decide hang on a minute you know because somebody on one side of the fence, the way I've always looked at it is you, you're trying to, to, to tell someone to change their favorite color. All right. And they're not, they're not going to change their favorite color. The people that have, have, have been become awoke or were aware to the situation or whatever you want to call it, have either always have been. They've had an incident happen to them that's directly affected them and caused them to kind of be snapped out of it. If it doesn't happen in your backyard, it's difficult to get people to, to a certain sort of point where yeah, they can ask the right questions. Just open their minds enough to even pretend that the scenario we're trying to describe to them is a thing and to ask the right questions, but it's getting past that. But the main thing, so where can people find you? First of all, mate, what's your social media deets? Social media deets for everybody, You'll mate. You'll find me on Twitter at A-K-E, all lowercase, 2306. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, but I do very, very little on them. You'll find me on Twitter. Um, if you're trying to get hold of me personally on Twitter and I've not followed you, just keep messaging me. I will eventually see it. It's not that I'm not looking. It's just it's getting to a stage where I can't keep up with Twitter. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm trying to still do everything myself, not because I want other people not to help me. It's because... This is personal to me. This is my journey. This is my fight. This is my road to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, I didn't set out a year ago to be sitting here on podcasts and interviews and documentaries and things like that, and newspapers. Fuck. If, I, the only time I was interested was in a newspaper. Was Did I have a photographer? Get a photo of the scooter? You know, that was my thumb I wanted to be famous. <laughs> I did a bad thing. You know, I've been in gigs where we've had four or five hundred people bouncing up and down and there's no great no greater buzz than that for shall we say the ego but when you come off the stage you're, you're back to base being a human being again if that makes any sense you know you've got to step back and go yeah i enjoyed that 
do I want the fame? No, I was quite happy being known locally as Alec the Mud. You know, that's always, everybody knows me as Alec the Mud. They took that away from me. Well, they tried it. And one thing you don't do with me is take something I love away from me. Especially if I think they try to take it off me wrongly. You're fighting, you're fighting with the wrong man. Have you got any groups that you can signpost people towards? That uh, there's a couple, yeah, people? there's a couple of really good organisations. Um, there's Rare, Not So Rare, uh, No More Scions, there's CV UK Family. The CV, that CV is for COVID vaccine injured people. Um, there's a couple of great groups. If, you had the, if you're in the UK or if you're not in the UK, contact the UK one because they do have contacts worldwide. That's how big this is getting. It's not as if we've only got one or two people in the UK, one or two people in America, one or two people in Brazil, New Zealand, Australia. We're talking, it's, we're into the hundreds. There's groups with thousands in it. We've got groups that can up be an average of 50 a week. That's vaccine injured people only. Now, that's not just me saying I'm vaccine injured and them going, okay, jump in. Yeah. That's me saying I'm vaccine injured and they saying, what's your injury? What medical records? What have you done? What have you not got? Because some people don't. Some people like to inflate the issues that they have, shall we say, for sympathy. I'm not here for sympathy. I don't need your sympathy. I don't need your sympathy, your pity. I need your voice. I need your support because my voice won't be held without you standing behind me, pushing me at the front, if that makes any sense. It's, I just have to be the guy whose story caught the imagination. I'm not any different for hundreds of other people. And I do believe that in many ways, you know, I'm not different for you. I just happen to be in this position that just seems to have caught the imagination. I haven't got a fucking clue what I'm doing here. I'm winging this. I'm not going to lie. It doesn't know about it, but this makes any sense to me. Me and you both, mate. Me and you both, buddy. <laughs> There's a demand for something. Oh, you're, so drunk, you're so organised, you're so this, you're so that. Yeah, I'm a fuck. I said, I'm not a swan. I, mean, I said, underneath, there's all sorts of going because I'm playing this. You know, nobody gives you a book and says, this is how you deal with this. You know something. I, do I get it right all the time? No, I don't. I get it wrong. Of course I do. I'm a human being. I get it wrong many times. I get it right. But when I get it right, I get it really right, if that makes any sense. And this, this whole vet, that when that's finished, and it will be finished, I don't see me just fading away into another life. I don't think I'm going to get that opportunity anymore. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. Some of the contacts I've made over the last year and where some of this is going, it's not a road I've ever thought. It's not a road I've imagined. Um, but it's a road that I seem to be getting... Well, I don't have a choice anymore. I, I kind of imagine that I'm, I'm on a boat on the rapids, and I've got no fucking oars. I'm hanging on and just enjoying the ride because it's going places nobody foresaw. It's weird because, as I say, exactly a year ago, I was sitting 100 nuts, followers screaming, somebody help me, somebody listen to me, somebody support me because I knew there was others out there. And here I am a year later, and in some of these cases, I wish I hadn't known anything. You know, that's the, the bit you take where you, out of this I take those that don't have a voice anymore for doing what they thought was the right thing to protect lives, to save the NHS and do what's right for society. 
and they're no longer here. And this very government that has to be doing the very right thing, they're doing the fucking opposite. They're putting blocks, channels, this you know, DRL, everything at every opportunity. If they think that's gonna make me go away, I tell you here and now, you better wake up and listen. I ain't going no fucking well. I've got nowhere to go. I really don't. And when this is this that fight is done, it'll be for those that are fighting to get recognised. People like John. Um, you know John, I take it. Yeah, John, I'm gonna try and get John on at some point as well. Yeah. Uh, John's my heart breaks for John. It really does. And people like John, because I don't understand their fight. I've got all the medical evidence. They're fighting just to get that. That is a, a fight I don't understand. But it's a fight I'll give them a hand to do. John's came up uh, a massive road in the last couple of months. When I first met John, John was in a really bad way. John reached out to me because I was the first person in Glasgow that he'd heard of. And, you know, it was openly saying there was something wrong. And you, you, you ever get a text message that a message you just realise behind it, there's so much more that you need to, you can't just walk away from. And I knew with John, it was one I couldn't, I just knew it was not a bad place. And I phoned him. And I spent almost oh, four hours on the phone with him. Me and John are going to be buddies for life. That's the reality. Um, not because of what's happened, it's just because he's a nice guy. He's, he, yeah, he swears on a lot, so they are. He rants, he gets angry. your language. Yeah, you know, and he gets really angry. And he's, he's still learning to contain that anger. But he's entitled to that anger. And people say to me, do you not have anger? So you've got no idea the anger that's inside me. Absolutely no idea whatsoever. But why should I take it out on you? You're not the person I feel responsible. The person I feel responsible will never stand here and look in these eyes. He'll never be able to look in these eyes. And I'll tell you something now, if you're watching, I'm never going to leave you. See, in your sleep, I'm going to fucking haunt you. In your dreams, I'm going to haunt you. You know who you are. <laughs> not <gonna> right. <laughs> Sorry, that was, a bit, that was a bit heavy for us. No, mate. Need, I, like I said to you, mate, I need, needed people to see the emotion behind it because I know a lot of people... We'll just be thinking, oh, what's this all about? And 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 this, that, and the other. But people need to understand that this these are real people, not people looking for fame or anything else, just trying to get uh, a message out there. And I'm sick of listening to podcasts and stuff where they don't ask the right questions or they they don't let the, the guests speak. Um, and I think it's important when you get on a roll, you know, just to just get it off your chest, man. Get it off your chest. I want you back on anyway because I want some developments with yeah. the case. Um, and stuff, and it'd just be good to have you on as um, as a guest going forward. So, just to confirm, people can find you on Twitter at um, AKE Alpha Kilo Echo two three zero six on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely that's stuff. That's you get me, Matt. Thank you so much. No, thank uh, you, buddy. NHS one hundred K podcast inaugural. I am so honoured, and I really genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, even though this the subject may not be the most comfortable, but I've had a bit of a laugh during it. I hope it goes well, and I look forward to returning, and I look forward to hearing some wonderful guests on your show. I including it, some of the wonderful NHS staff. Yeah. That would be nice. From the bottom up, please. Yes, 100%. We've got to start small first, mate, but we've got to get people asking the right questions. When we get that, then we can start figuring out how we're going to fix stuff. 
But, yeah, uh, yeah. I'll give you. I've got a lot of people that are very interested in your show, and I don't just mean vaccine and your. You like you like okay. some of the guests when we stop recording. I'll tell you who they are. Yeah, sweet. All right then. Right. Thank you so much, mate. We're going to sign off now. Thanks, everybody, for watching, listening, and I will see you on the flip side for the next episode. You take care now and be safe, be good, and look after each other. Be good, everybody. Be good.